0: Uh, this morning, we're continuing our look at the book of 2 Thessalonians. We finished chapter 1 last week. This week, we are in chapter 2. And uh, if you looked ahead and had the chance to look at this, this is one of those portions of Scripture that shows us prophetic details, things that are in store for future dates. Now, just by a show of hands, uh, how many of you find prophecy in Scripture fascinating? I'm going I'm to give my hand on that one. All right. Uh, I, I once was talking to a, a, a particular speaker, and, uh, and I said to him, at the time I was teaching through the book of Daniel, and uh, I, I said to him something about prophecy, and his comment to me was, yeah, you know, I never speak through the prophetic books. And I said, really, you always skip those? He said, yeah, I never, I never speak through those because... Uh, sometimes when I read those, I'm I'm not sure what I'm looking at. And I, I said, so your solution is to skip them? <laughs> it's like that's not the right solution, right? So I don't wanna I don't wanna skip it, right? Uh, but this is a great portion of scripture that I hope you'll find fascinating. And there's a variety of takeaways that will that I think we could take away from this particular passage. But in general, when you look at this, if you had to summarize what we're about to look at, you could see how I have this titled. I I th- I see, among the things that I see here in this portion of Scripture, one of the things that I see is that even if the world is deceived, and it talks about this concept here in this passage, even if the world is deceived, you don't need to be. We don't need to be deceived. Even if the world is deceived, we don't need to be as followers of Christ. So look with me, if you will, at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and I'm going to read for us verses 1 through 12, and then we'll come back and revisit these verses a section at a time. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, starting with verse 1, this is what it states. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to Him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word, or a letter seeming to be from us. To the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And you know what is restraining him now, so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan, with all power and false signs and wonders, and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing, because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion, so that they may believe what is false, in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for this portion of Your Word, and we thank You for the privilege to be able to look at it together today. And Lord, as we look at this portion of Scripture that describes a series of events that I find fascinating, and I'm sure many of us find fascinating, we pray, Lord, that we would take away from this passage what You want us to take away from it. We pray that we would give You glory as we look at what You're going to do and what You've already done. We pray, Lord, that we would learn to trust in you in the midst of every circumstance. And we pray, Lord, that by your grace, we would apply the concepts that we see illustrated in this portion of Scripture to our lives right now, at present, as you enable us to do so. Lord, we commit ourselves to you, we commit this time to you, and we pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would speak to our hearts. And we pray this all in Jesus' name, amen. So during the early years of high school, I remember watching an interview on TV, and this interview was going on, and this person happened to be interviewed quite a lot at that particular time, but it was a prominent world leader that was doing kind of a series of interviews at the time while I was there in high school. And I I remember paying attention to what he was saying, but something about his words and something about his facial expressions seemed off to me. Do you ever notice that? Do you ever talk to somebody and there'll just be something, like a check in your spirit that you feel with something they're saying, or just like a look in their face, or something in your mind says, this isn't right somehow. Something is off. And I remember as he was speaking, the more he spoke, the more uncomfortable I became with him. And I remember also noticing that at that particular time, most people, at least it seemed that most people uh, who also heard what he was saying felt like it was totally fine, and they believed what he happened to say. Uh, But I remember at that particular time saying to my father, who's here in the front row, happy Father's Day, Dad, (laughs) um, I remember saying to him, I was like, Dad, why can't people tell that that man's lying? Why can't they tell that he's lying? I just remember being puzzled by it because it seemed so obvious to me. I thought, for sure he's he's not telling the truth. And and everybody seemed or you know, maybe not everybody, but it seemed like most people thought that he was. And I thought there is no way. And so that moment stuck in my mind. I, I remember very distinctly that 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 particular moment the conversation I had with my dad in that moment, and it became a subject that in my mind I frequently came back to. I wondered in that particular context why that leader was able to convince so many people that he was telling the truth, even though it was very plain to me, that he was not, and here's the ironic thing. Years later, the truth came out, and all of my suspicions about that man were shown to be 100% correct. And again, I, I wondered, why was I able to see what it seemed like so many people were missing? But in time, what I learned was this. I learned that I was not the only one who could perceive this man's dishonesty. Other people noticed it as well. Other people picked up on it as well. It didn't seem like people were picking up on it, but then I discovered that they did. And there was a common thread in the lives of those that I noticed who understood that this man was not telling the truth. And the common thread was this. It became very clear to me that followers of Christ were able to discern something that the rest of the world could not see. So that was a very interesting lesson to me. I thought, wow, Christians are seeing this before everybody else, and unbelievers are seeing something different, and then after the fact are being told, oh, it was something else from what you initially believed. And what I believe was taking place in that moment, and I believe this happens quite frequently, I believe the Holy Spirit in that particular context was intervening in our lives to help us see truth, because I think that's one of the things that he always does for believers. He points our hearts in the direction of truth. He helps us to see what is true. He was opening up our eyes to catch what many people didn't want to see or didn't seem to want to understand. And I bring that up because it fits very much with the scripture that we're looking at today. And I'll say one more thing to set this up, because I think it's relevant for, for what we're, we just read together and we'll read through it again. But deception is one of the tools, it's one of Satan's favorite tools that he likes to use against humanity. He Loves to use deception against humanity. He tries to keep us in the dark, so we'll walk in darkness. And in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting with verse 1, we read just down to verse 12, but in that portion of Scripture, we're told of a future day when deception and lawlessness are going to be rampant. And The Scripture describes a future day when deception is going to be so prevalent that it's going to be treated like obvious truth, but those who believe in Christ don't need to succumb to it. So what should be some of our takeaways as we look at this portion of Scripture? Let me show you one of the takeaways. I'll I'll point out several things to us today, but here's one of them, and and this is something we can grab onto right here and now, and that's this. You don't need to be easily shaken. Now, why am I saying that? You don't need to be easily shaken. Let me reread verses 1 and 2. They say this. Now, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, We ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Now, let me pause there for just a moment. When Paul was with the Thessalonians, and I'd given us some background in previous weeks as we were looking through 1 Thessalonians and then as we went into 2 Thessalonians here, but when he was with the Thessalonians, Paul taught the the Thessalonian Christians many things about the Christian faith. He also taught them many things about what Jesus was going to accomplish at a future date. But soon after Paul left the city of Thessalonica, it appears that some false teachers or maybe some confused brothers attempted to distort Paul's teaching. So they were trying to distort some of the things that he had already taught the church, and the effect was they were confusing some of the Thessalonian believers who were new in their faith. And keep in mind, they also did not have the benefit that you and I have of having the New Testament fully written out. It wasn't fully written out yet. In part, it was written out, but it wasn't fully written out yet. You and I can just look at the scriptures as they're, as they're revealed to us. They did not have the luxury that you and I have right here and now to be able to do that. And so some people were apparently causing confusion among them. Some were apparently saying that the day of the Lord had already come and that the Thessalonian Christians had missed out. Now, that would be devastating, wouldn't it? Like, hey, the day of the Lord came, but sorry, guys, you missed out. (laughs) That would be a bummer, wouldn't it? I imagine that must have been terrifying for some of these young believers. You know, when you keep in mind what their day-to-day life was like, as you remember, when we were talking about what they were experiencing in that city, their day-to-day life uh, was filled with discomfort, It was filled with persecution. It was filled with rejection in the midst of their culture. It was filled with pain. But through it all, they reminded themselves of the hope that they had for the future. They would think about it frequently. It was on their mind continually. So now to be told that what they had been looking forward to was no longer an option, wouldn't that be painfully alarming? That was painfully alarming for this group of people. So you have the Apostle Paul in the, the opening verses of this chapter, he reminds them that they did not need to be easily shaken and they did not need to be easily alarmed about this subject. And he, he, the way he phrases it is like this, you know, whether a deceitful spirit was trying to propagate false information or if it came through a conversation or if it came through a forged letter. Think, think about how tricky that would be during that time. Someone could just write something up and say, well, this is from so-and-so, and and this is from so-and-so, and so. so." In certain contexts, you have the Apostle Paul making great emphasis on his own signature, showing people, look at my signature, analyze the signature. I wrote this with my own hand. You can see it. And it was because at times people would attempt to forge letters that they would say were from the Apostle Paul, and they would do this in order to try and deceive believers. It's one of Satan's go-to strategies. But here in the midst of all of this, whether, you know, deceitful information came from any one of these sources, Paul was saying, these believers could stand with the truth. And Paul was about to lay it all out for them with abundant clarity. Now, we're about to go into some of the details that he lists out, but let me say this even before we go into those details. I think this is good counsel for us, just in these opening verses, that we could quickly and easily and accurately apply to our day-to-day lives right now. No matter what's taking place in present day or what's taken place in the past or what we may even face in coming days, many people, when things switch up, when things change, when things seem puzzling, many people find themselves easily shaken and overreactive. And for us as believers, I don't think that's the right path for us to take. No matter what season of life or context we find ourselves in. Why? Why do many people find themselves in a spot where they're easily shaken and overreactive? Well, I think in many respects it comes down to the same issue the Thessalonians were dealing with just in our modern-day context. I think it comes down sometimes to believing the wrong information sources or failing to, to hold all sources of information up to the light of Scripture. We need to hold all things that we ingest mentally and emotionally up to the light of Scripture. And if it doesn't jive with what Scripture says, then it's not something that we should adopt into our hearts and into our lives. And so, again, for that reason, I'd encourage us to begin immersing ourselves in the teaching of God's Word so that we can be better equipped to discern truth and error. The more, e- the more acquainted your mind and heart are with the Word of God, the more time you're spending in the Word of God, the more discerning you will become and that will help you to not be easily shaken when unsettling things take place in your life, whether it be present-day news or something that happens 10 years from now or something you noticed in the past. We don't need to be easily shaken because we're people who understand that the Word of God is true, it's accurate, it's reliable information that we can take to heart. So now Paul Bridges from that, he sets this up by telling them, listen guys, you don't need to be easily shaken. And he reiterates, apparently, something that he had already told them when he was face-to-face with them. When you look at his words here, as we go through the, the the the, the remaining part of the section that we're looking at today, Paul tells us and tells them that he had already told them these things... But sometimes things that we've already heard can start to become distant from our present day thinking. So there are things in my life that I've already heard a million times, but that doesn't guarantee I'm going to think about it in any given moment. And I think that that's probably, at least in part, what was happening to the Thessalonians. They were forgetting what Paul taught. They were starting to become confused. But what he begins to reveal here is a timeline of events, certain things that are going to happen at a future date. And one of the things that he states is that this person he refers to as the lawless one is going to be revealed. Now, what's that all about? The lawless one is going to be revealed. Look at what it says in verse 3 down to verse 5. He says, let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come. So he's referencing the day of the Lord. For that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? So again, he's challenging them. Don't you remember when I was with you, I already told you this. He starts going through the details. Now, in multiple places, Scripture talks about the coming day of the Lord. You may remember not that long ago, we went through the Old Testament book of prophecy, the book of Joel. And when we were going all throughout the book of Joel, what was one of the concepts that kept coming up over and over and over again? This concept of the day of the Lord. And that concept is referenced all throughout scripture, the day of the Lord. It tells us of the coming day of the Lord. That's a day of judgment and blessing. It just depends on what camp you're in or what family you're part of, right? It's a day of judgment and it's a day of blessing. And what I mean by that is this, those who have rejected Christ will be condemned, while those who have fully trusted in Jesus Christ will receive eternal life and heavenly rewards as the Lord blesses with those things. And in this passage, Paul explains some of the historical events that will precede the coming of that day. So he tells us here that prior to that day, there will be a rebellion against the Lord and against biblical wisdom. That's the concept that he's getting at here. People will throw off restraint, and they'll show utter contempt for the teaching of Scripture. And right now you're saying, wait a second, is this today? <laughs> is that, that sounds like right now, doesn't it? You know, where, where, where people would just rebel against biblical wisdom and show utter contempt for the teaching of Scripture. Well, the indication that I receive as I, as I look at Scripture is that you may feel like that's an issue that we face at present, and obviously it certainly is, but I get the impression that the world's going to see even worse. It's, it's going to see even worse. Does that sound pessimistic? No one likes pessimism from the pulpit, right? Well, it all works out in the end, but there's a tough spot in between, right? Right? And the Scripture shows us here that as people, they just throw off restraint, they show utter contempt for the teaching of Scripture, that something's going to accompany that. And Paul here begins talking about a man of lawlessness that's going to be leading. And the man of lawlessness, when you see these references to this person, this person's also referred to as the Antichrist elsewhere in Scripture. But at that time, that person, the Antichrist, is going to be revealed. And apparently he's going to be a powerful world leader who's going to enjoy great influence. He's going to enjoy the affection of many people. He's going to be elevated to his position and he's going to have great authority over this earth for a period of time. And during the days of the Antichrist, he will present himself as an object of worship. He will exalt himself as if he's higher than God. Scripture tells us here that that Satan will, you know, as we look... um, a little bit later here in this particular chapter here, and we'll get to these details in a moment. But Satan will empower the Antichrist, and will do so with the same proud and rebellious attitude that he conveys toward God. Now we already live in a period of time when people worship celebrities and they worship political leaders, and so this form of deception that the Scripture is talking about here this form of deception that will be carried out from a future world leader, it doesn't strike me as shocking. Because you see people doing that already. We already see a picture of it. There's a void in our heart. We want leadership. We want to be led. That void can ultimately only be filled by Jesus Christ. But there's a craving for that. I saw, just within the past two weeks, I saw a world leader giving a speech. And as this world leader was giving a speech... I looked at the faces, I always do this, I like to study people, and I looked at the faces of the people that were in the crowd behind this person. And I, and I noticed two people, one person that kind of just had his eyes open, enamored that he had the privilege to see this world leader. And the person next to him, a woman sitting next to him, weeping. And she was weeping as she heard this world leader. And I looked at that, and honestly, it looked like a form of worship. It looked like a form of worship. She was so enamored with this person that I thought, okay, here you are. I don't know that you fully realize it, but you're utilizing this world leader to satisfy a void in your heart that only Christ can fill. So we see that in all generations of humanity. We see that presently in, in our day and age. I mean, you just have to watch the news, which I don't really recommend most of the time. But if you watch the news and you just look at people closely, you'll see it. I mean, that was within the past two weeks. I happened to notice it. And I was fascinated by it. And I was watching a recording of it. And so I just kind of, I looked at it and I was like, wow, that person is weeping. And then that guy looks so starstruck. And they're just enamored. With this leader, we already see a picture of it. And apparently this man of lawlessness that's going to be revealed is going to have that kind of emotional allegiance from a high percentage of people on this earth. And he will wield control over people in a powerful way. But then the scripture goes on to reveal a little bit more about what comes next. And we're told that this lawless one will be destroyed. So look at what it says in verses 6 through 10. And I'll tell you what. Even before I reread this, this is not the picture that many people think of when they think of of Christ and what Christ is going to do, but here it reveals to us that Christ is actively going to destroy this lawless one. Look at what it actually tells us, starting with verse 6. It says, And you know what is restraining him now, so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so Until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan, with all power and false signs and wonders, and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing, because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. So, while the Antichrist is going to have the opportunity to rule for a season of time, the Scripture also reveals to us that his rule is eventually going to be ended. And even now, the the ability of Satan to raise up the Antichrist, the Scripture reveals to us, is temporarily being restrained. That ability is being restrained. And I believe what the Scripture is revealing to us is that the Holy Spirit is presently uh, restraining Satan from being able to do this. I believe he restrains Satan through the influence of the church, uh, particularly the influence of the church on culture. Um, I believe that he restrains this even through human governments. The Lord makes it very clear in Romans 13 that he makes use of human governments to accomplish his purposes. And I think there are other divinely ordained means that are mysterious to me that the Holy Spirit is using to restrain this from happening. But the day is coming, according to the scripture, where that restraint is going to be lifted. And when that restraint is lifted, you'll have the lawless one revealed, but then soon after, the lawless one will be destroyed. But when that restraint is lifted, the Antichrist is going to be enabled to do his bidding in this world. And Satan will empower him, and Satan will will accomplish false signs and seemingly miraculous acts that will be done through this man of lawlessness in order to deceive those who do not yet know Christ. The Scripture tells us that those who refuse to love the truth and those who reject Christ's offer of salvation will fall under the Antichrist's deception. So if they reject the truth, if they refuse to love the truth, if they, if they reject Christ's offer of salvation, they will easily fall under the deception of the Antichrist. But again, the Scripture tells us that the reign of this man of lawlessness will not continue forever. When Christ comes to rule and reign and restore righteousness on earth, the Antichrist will be restored. We're told here that the Antichrist is the one who the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. Isn't that a fascinating statement? Because when most portrayals of Jesus are given... We tend to portray his very merciful and patient side, right? We display the patience of Christ, the mercy of Christ. You know, at Christmas time, we celebrate his incarnation as he came as a, a baby, and he's in swaddling clothing. And he's showing mercy to a variety of people throughout the course of his earthly ministry, and he's healing. And then Scripture tells us what things are going to be like when he comes again. And here it directly says that the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing the appearance, and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming, that he's going to do this to the man of lawlessness. I do find it fascinating that it says, by the breath of his mouth. Anyone focus on that? Where it says, by the breath of his mouth, he's going to do this. Think about how creation came into being. What does scripture reveal to us about how creation came into being? That it was spoken into existence through Jesus Christ. Creation was spoken into existence. And what does Scripture tell us? that? How is creation sustained right now? Your life, my life, the universe, how is it sustained? It's sustained by Christ's powerful word. That's what Scripture says, that he spoke creation into existence and that he sustains creation by his powerful word. And here it says, by the breath of his mouth, he'll actually kill the Antichrist. Now, we don't have a holiday celebrating that, you know. It didn't happen yet, so I guess you can't have a holiday yet until it happens, right? But I do find it fascinating as we look at this that that's the description that we're given here. And we're shown that Christ is going to have his victory, and he's going to end the deception. He's going to end the destructive reign of the Antichrist, which Satan was empowering. So this is all fascinating stuff to me. You know, as I look at this, and by the way, there's all kinds of opinions on prophecy and the timetables and how this all works out. And I tried not to really share in depth where I land on some of these things. I'm just trying to stick with what it's actually saying here and, and uh, as, as it's being spoken. And you may have a slightly different opinion about the timetables than I have, but that's not the big point. The big point is that it's going to happen. The big point is that Scripture says that this is indeed what, what Jesus Christ is going to accomplish. And we could take heart in that truth. But there's something else I want us to pick up on as we look at a portion of Scripture like this. Because it could be very easy to get lost in the weeds of a portion of Scripture like this because we're thinking that maybe it doesn't apply to us. Well, I'm saying that it does apply to us, and I'll explain in just a moment how. And this is one of the ways that I think it applies to us, and that's this. If you take pleasure in unrighteousness, you are more likely to be deceived. Right now, not just at a future date, right now, if you take pleasure in unrighteousness, think about this in an intensely personal way, because I have some comments that I'm going to make that, um, that I think can be taken that way, but they're also meant to be taken that way. If you take pleasure in unrighteousness, you are more likely to be deceived. Let me read for us verses 11 and 12 and elaborate on this for just a moment, But there it says this, Therefore God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So again, ask yourself the question, what is the benefit of knowing about these events ahead of time? What's the point? What's the benefit about knowing about these things right now? You know, what if we aren't even here to experience these things? You know, we just talked about a variety of things. What, what if we're not even here to experience them? Is there something that we can still learn from this teaching? Well, I believe that there certainly is. And first of all, when we look at a portion of Scripture like this, I think that if we're able to keep our present trials in context by, by trusting in the Lord in the midst of all circumstances, I think we, you know, we can look at our circumstances, we, in, in, we could keep our present trials in context when we understand the future that the Lord has planned. Now, when you look at how the Lord is going to work all things out, it really does help us keep our present trials in context. It helps me to look at my life more soberly and not to overreact because I have an, an abiding confidence through what the Lord's already revealed in Scripture and what He's speaking to my heart as a believer that He's going to work things out, that all things will resolve, that all things are going to be restored, and that I'm part of His eternal family. And part of his eternal plan. So knowing these things ahead of time, including the outcome verses that we just read there, it helps me to keep my present trials in perspective. And I think for all of us, you know, our confidence in the Lord can remain strong even when we're enduring difficulty. Because we know that the Lord has a perfect plan that he's bringing to fruition. And that's something that can be restorative to our hearts if we're in the spot where we feel like maybe we're starting to feel easily shaken. I think something else is worth noting, and that's this. I think it's also valuable to know these things so that we don't fall prey to Satan's schemes like so many will during that day. We're told that those who reject Jesus will be locked in that state forever. Forever. Those who reject Christ are going to be locked in that state forever. They will continue to believe what is false because they take pleasure in unrighteousness. That's an interesting thing to note from that passage, isn't it? But it tells us that there. So let me ask a very highly personal question that, again, I hope all of us will take to heart. And the question is this. Ask it of yourself. At present... Do you take pleasure in unrighteousness? At present, right now, do you take pleasure in unrighteousness? Is unrighteousness what you crave? Is giving into the lusts of the flesh, the lusts of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life the way you're currently living? Is that what characterizes every day of your day-to-day life? Well, if so, please understand what the outcome of that will be. Scripture gives us a foretaste of that. If your greatest pleasure is found in the very things that offend the holiness of God, you're going to be deceived by Satan, and you're going to be deceived by those who do Satan's bidding. Isn't that what Scripture is teaching? Is that just my opinion, or is that something that the Scripture actually is teaching when you look at this? fascinating to consider because we know the affections of our hearts very easily drift toward worldly things. You know, I look at the things that I wrestle with and the things that I'm sure that we all wrestle with because scripture tells us that this is common to us all. No one has to tell my heart to have an affection for worldliness. It already knows how to do that. But I'm grateful that through faith in Jesus Christ, we're given a new heart. We're given a new mind and when we notice those things, when we notice the affections of our heart drifting toward things that are unhealthy, unwise, sinful, rebellious, we can, we can acknowledge that. We can confess that to the Lord and say, Lord, look at where the affections of my heart are leading today. I confess this to you, Lord. Help me to walk in the light. Will the Lord answer that prayer? Of course he will. Why would he not when he's told us to pray for that very thing? But how about this? If on the other hand... You know, instead of being deceived, instead of, instead of being confused by Satan or by those who are doing Satan's bidding, if on the other hand, we want to understand the truth of Christ, we want to walk in the light of his gospel, we want to truly comprehend the will of God for, for our lives. If that's the case, if that's where we want to walk, what we need to do is renounce our allegiance to sin. Let's renounce our allegiance to sin. You can be free from sin. Or you can be a slave to sin, but you can't be both. You could be free from sin, or you could be a slave to sin, but you can't be both. And if you're right now at a spot where you're struggling to find perfect peace, or you're struggling to understand God's will for your life, I want to encourage you to start asking yourself some hard questions about the sin that you've invited into your life that's now taking hold of your heart or taking hold of your mind. Because if there's something there that doesn't belong, you are setting yourself up for disappointment and deception. And the Lord has much greater desires for you and me than that. He doesn't set us up for failure. He wants us to succeed, and thankfully, Jesus Christ secured the victory for us on the cross so that you and I do not need to remain slaves to sin in our minds, in our hearts, in our lives Through faith in Christ, we find complete freedom. Freedom to not go back to the chains that he freed us from. I'm so grateful for the fact that Christ did not leave me in that state. I'm so grateful that he offers us true freedom in him. Because we're able to perceive things that we were not naturally able to perceive. We're able to resist deception because we have the mind of Christ as the Holy Spirit is counseling us and giving us His wisdom and opening up our eyes to begin to see things. But if you're at a spot right now where that doesn't seem super clear to you, there is a solution to it. And even though it's a hard truth, you know, I'm speaking about things that are very direct and somewhat confrontational, not because I don't love you, but because I do love you, and because the, the Word of God actually expresses these very things. If you're confused about the will of God for your life, if you feel like you're not hearing the voice of God right now, you need to ask yourself the question, what have I invited into my heart and life that doesn't belong there, that's clouding my judgment? What sin am I gravitating to that shouldn't be there? Because if we welcome that garbage into our lives, we will not understand the will of God, and we'll spend our years wasting them walking as deceived confused people. Let me show you a familiar portion of scripture from Romans 12 that speaks to this very issue. In Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, it says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Again, what does it say right there in verse 2? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And what happens is, as we're not conformed to this world, as we're transformed by the renewal of our mind, we will discern what the will of God is. And I bring that up, probably with some regularity. I certainly think about it a lot. But I think about it a lot right now in a season where I think we're wrestling with, what voice do I listen to right now? What do I listen to? Who do I listen to? Who's telling me the truth and who's not? Who do I listen to right now? Are you wrestling with that? Because I'm wrestling with that. Who do I listen to? I want to be teachable. I want to be somebody that's that's processing correct information. But I want to do so with an understanding of clarity for the will of God. And if we want to understand the will of God, we can't be conformed to this world. And I got to tell you something that actually really troubles me right now, and my wife and I were having a conversation about this very recently, how troubled we are to see so many people in our day-to-day lives, people that we've known for a long time, really being confused about that very issue people that have been professing Christians for as long as we've known them, you know, close, personal friends that seem like all of a sudden they're just adopting a worldly perspective that I'm like, what is going on? Just the other day I was—I looked at something that was posted by a musician, that I, a Christian musician that I was listening to a lot during my, my teenage years and into my 20s, someone that had a high degree of influence on me. And he shared something recently that I looked at and I was like, where did that come from? That, that is so the opposite of what Scripture teaches, but yet it falls right in line with worldly wisdom. And I thought, brother, has it like consumed your mind as well? And I, I felt troubled by it. I actually was even saying to my wife this morning, I said, yeah, I, I can't follow that guy on Facebook anymore because he's going to ruin too many of my early memories of him. I, I said, I need to be able to think of him in a positive light. I, I just can't, I can't see that right now as he would adopt that kind of mindset clearly unbiblical. And I think, well, how does that happen? Well, here's what happens. If you want to have favor with this world, just do whatever the world, world tells you every five minutes. The, the counsel of the world changes every five minutes. So just stay in line with it. One minute you believe this, and then the next minute you're told, no, don't believe that anymore. Here's our new thing. All right, here's the new thing we believe. And then five minutes later, it's a new thing, and it's a new thing, and it's a new thing, over and over and over and over again. And if you conform your mind to the pattern of this world, you'll just live in confusion, and you reject the godly wisdom that the Lord gives us in His Word. But if we reject worldliness, if we choose not to conform to that, but see beyond it with the eyes of Christ, we'll have discernment right now in the age in which we live in, and there are things that you will perceive before Others realize what's true because the Holy Spirit will speak those truths to your heart. In the future, this world may be deceived. Scripture tells us very clearly it will be. In the present, this world may be deceived. But you don't need to be. If Christ is truly Lord of your life, your eyes will be open to the truth. And the deluding power of sin that likes to keep us both deceived and depressed will be utterly destroyed by the breath of Christ's mouth. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. And thank you for a portion of scripture like this, Lord, that we're just systematically going through this book together. But, Lord, as as I'm looking at it, it just seems so poignant. There's so many things that I look at and I think, Lord, I see this right now. And obviously, the human heart is in the state that it's in and and will continue to be in that state until you intervene on our behalf. But Lord, we, we desperately need your intervention right now in whichever way you would choose to intervene. Lord, we wrestle with all kinds of things. There's all sorts of worldly philosophies being espoused that... Even professing believers are starting to latch on to that really do not line up with the teaching of your word. And Lord, what do we do when we find ourselves in a spot like that? Your word didn't change. Why all of a sudden are we? Lord, we pray that we would understand the truth, that we would walk in the truth, that we would teach the, the children that you've entrusted to us the truth, that fathers would lead in their homes and and profess the truth, that mothers would nurture in their homes and profess the truth, and that your name would be glorified among your people. Lord, we know that this world longs to rebel against you, longs to go its own way, longs to ignore the counsel of your Scripture. We see it presently, but we also see, Lord, that apparently we're going to get to a spot in, in uh, just here among mankind, Lord, um, among the culture, among the world, where it, it looks like there's going to be essentially no tolerance for the teaching of your word. So, Lord, I don't know if we'll get to see some of those things with our own eyes, or we'll just see foretastes of it. But regardless, we pray that we would always be able to see beyond it, because we also know how these things resolve. So again, as the Apostle John prays at at the end of the book of Revelation, we pray that you would come quickly, Lord Jesus. We're looking forward to your restoration. And we're so grateful for your goodness to us here and now. Help us to walk with you daily. Help us to live as men and women who are absolutely convinced that you are Lord and that there is no plan B. There is no secondary option. And where worldliness has taken grip of our hearts, we pray that we would confess it and repent of it and walk with you as you empower us to do so. We're grateful for these reminders from your word today, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode. When you get the chance, I'd like to invite you to stop by my website, which is desirejesus.com. And when you're there, be sure to sign up for our email list and take advantage of the free books and free resources that we have there to help you grow in your walk with Christ. And if you feel led to help support this podcast and our other online ministry efforts, please click the link in this episode's description to give a gift. And don't forget to leave the podcast a rating or review via your favorite podcast player. I hope you have a great week, and I'm looking forward to getting together again right here next Monday. Take care.